0: Death is the ultimate consequence of sin in all of its forms, spiritual, physical, and eternal. The salary sin always pays is death. But obedience results in righteousness.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part two of Whose Slave Are You? Think about this phrase for just a second You are what you eat. You might be surprised that the Bible says something similar about how we relate to sin. The Apostle Paul says you prove whose spiritual slave you are by how you live. Jesus said a tree is known by the fruit it produces. It doesn't matter what type of profession you may make or the level of your biblical knowledge. If the fruit of righteousness isn't being produced in your life, then you're not a slave of God. Take a look at the fruit in your own life. Is your life characterized more by a love for Jesus Christ and a pursuit of obedience to Him than it is characterized by sin? Or are you a spiritual slave to your sin? Keep that in mind as we join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed.
0: In the earlier days of the Roman Republic, before the days of Augustus, piracy and kidnapping were very common. That was later outlawed. So in the first century, listen carefully, this really factors into what Paul wants to teach us here. In the first century, most slaves in the Roman Empire became slaves in one of two ways. They were either prisoners of war, that's where the bulk of the prisoners of the slaves in the Roman Empire came from, they were prisoners of war, or they were children born to those prisoners of war. Most slaves in the Roman Empire came from that. But, If you were not captured as a prisoner of war, or you were not born to a prisoner of war, the most common way in the first century in Rome that you became a slave was to sell yourself into slavery. Now, when we hear that, of course, our minds go to the awful thing that was American slavery, and not that any slavery is good, but that's where our minds go is is that, and we ask ourselves, why would anyone ever do that? By the way, I'll deal with that later, because I think we have to, dealing on a passage about slavery, but both Old and New Testament condemn the institution of American slavery. It's clear I'll talk about that when we get there. But that's where our minds go. Why would anyone sell themselves into slavery? Well, you've got to dispossess yourself that Roman slavery is exactly the same as American slavery. It wasn't. Not a good thing. Glad it's gone, but it, it wasn't permanent. It wasn't permanent. In fact, in that culture, and I've validated this from several key resources, in that culture most slaves were typically freed by the time they were 30 years old. And often they didn't serve as slaves for more than seven years. It was temporary. So in light of its temporary nature, there were three reasons that people in the first century sold themselves into slavery. Number one was because it was a common way for non-Romans to connect themselves with Roman citizens and to receive their own citizenship. It was a brief time, you served, and you got new status in the community because of the family that you served. A second reason people sold themselves into slavery was it was a way for those who were free but desperately poor to gain a career and financial stability. Because most of the slaves in the first century were not shackled in chains, they were, they were artisans, they were workers, they were tradesmen working under their owner. They also had property, they, they sometimes even owned other slaves in this sense. And so it was a way to gain security and to gain a, a career path. Thirdly, it was a way to pay off personal indebtedness and avoid financial collapse You essentially indentured yourself, you sold yourself, and you would then pay back what you owed by giving them that service. So that was common. And so Paul plays off of that cultural phenomenon, and he says, notice verse 16, when you present yourselves to someone as slaves, you agree to obey him, and you're a slave to the one you obey. Paul's point is, listen, if you present yourself to someone as a slave, you can't at the same time expect to retain your freedom. You are a slave. And his point is the very same thing holds true in the spiritual realm. You are a slave to whomever you obey. Proposition number two that's here in verse 16. In the spiritual realm, there are only two masters. Only two. Notice what he says. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either, and he uses a Greek word that's only used here in the New Testament. It is a word that makes it clear there are only two categories it's either or. This is it. Either of sin or of obedience. You are a slave of sin, or you're a slave of obedience, that is to God. We are not under law as a way to earn our way to heaven, but as Christians, we are still under obedience. Literally, what he says is, we are slaves of obedience. It's an interesting expression. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Paul expresses the same idea in various ways in this section. If you go back to chapter 5, verse 21, he speaks of everybody being either a slave of sin or under the reign of grace. Either you're under sin or you're under grace. In the same way that sin exercises power over unbelievers, control over unbelievers, grace reigns in the life of believers. In, down in verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, he, he contrasts being a slave of sin with a slave of righteousness. And then in verse 22, he contrasts being a slave of sin with being a slave of God. So he, he says it different ways But he's making the same basic point. The point is this when a slave changes masters, he doesn't stop obeying. He just stops obeying his old master and he starts obeying his new master. This is how it works. Did you notice the clear implication of Paul's words here? Everyone is a slave, everyone. No one is ever free in the sense of having the uninfluenced power to set his or her own course. This is an illusion. It's an illusion created and sustained by Satan himself. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to understand the reality of the choice that stands before you. It's not, do I decide to hold on to my freedom or submit myself to God? That's not the choice. Really, it's just a choice between masters. Is sin going to be your master, or is God going to be your master? That's the choice. One of Satan's most effective strategies, I think, is to make unbelievers think that as they indulge their sins, they are actually free. Let me just tell you, in your heart of hearts, you know that isn't true. And if you doubt that, as I've said to you before, just try stopping. Just try. Try for the next six months not to commit those sins that control you, and you will discover that you are not in charge. Sin is. But this is what Jesus taught, isn't it? Turn back to John 8. This is exactly what our Lord said. John 8, look at verse 31. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, or who had believed him, rather, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. In other words, they had, a, they had affirmed the truthfulness of his claims, and he's saying the reality of your faith, if it's true faith, will be proven by your continuing to obey me. And as you do that, verse 32, you will know the truth, and that truth, the truth that's in my words, as you know it and obey it, will set you free. They answered, you've got to love this, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? We've never been enslaved. They mean physically, of course, but even that's a ridiculous claim. I mean, think about their history. You have the Egyptians... You have the period of the judges when they were under several different surrounding countries. You have the Babylonian captivity. And right now, as they say this, they're under the Romans. We've never been enslaved. Jesus leaves that ridiculous claim alone, and he comes back to the spiritual issue. Notice what he says in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who is committing sin. Again, it's this idea of of a pattern of sin in the life is a slave, is the slave of sin. And then he says, verse 36, if the Son makes you free from that slavery to sin, you will be free indeed. Jesus makes exactly the same point Paul does. You are either a slave of your sin or you're a slave of His. That's it. Those are the two options third proposition back in Romans chapter 6, a third proposition is that you can only be a slave to one of those two masters. You can only be a slave to one of them. Notice again verse 16, either of sin or of obedience. A slave can only have one master. Again, our Lord affirmed this, right? In Matthew chapter 6 verse 34, there he's talking about serving God or, or wealth, but he makes this point. He says, no one, That's a total, complete exclusion of of every individual. No one can serve two masters. No one can be a slave to two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus said, Paul says, you can't be a slave of both God and righteousness and of sin at the same time. It's impossible. Proposition number four, and this is key you can only identify your master by what you do. You can only identify who your true master is by how you live. Look at verse 16. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin or of obedience. You're slaves of the one you obey. And then he says of believers that we are slaves of obedience. Now that is a a strange expression, slaves of obedience. That's not what we expect him to say. What do we expect him to say? You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. He does that later in verses 18 and 19. Or we expect him to say, You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of God. He says that down in verse 22. But here, he speaks of Christians as slaves of obedience. Why? He personifies obedience as our Master. Why does he do that? Here's the simple explanation. Because obedience is the essence of what it means to be a slave. If you're a slave of God and of Jesus Christ, then you obey. That's what it means to be a slave. To call yourself someone's slave and not to obey that person is absurd. This is why Jesus says what he says. You remember in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Curios, curios. Why do you call me master, master? And don't do what I say. That's illogical. If I'm your master, slaves obey their masters. And here's the key point. The one you obey proves whose slave you really are. That's what Paul is saying here. If you obey sin as a pattern of life, again, we're not talking about the fact that everybody understands, and Paul's going to deal with this in Romans 7, believers struggle with sin. But believers don't live in an ongoing, continuous pattern and habit of sin where sin marks their life more than righteousness. It doesn't happen as a continuing pattern. If you obey sin as a pattern of life, then sin is your master, and you're not a believer. But if you obey God as a pattern of life, then God is your master and you are a believer. A slave obeys his master, and that shows exactly whose slave he is, by whom he obeys. Again, our Lord makes this point. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I love this passage. It's it's really a powerful one. But beginning in verse 13, Jesus ends this most famous sermon with a series of three warnings. He first of all, in verses 13 and 14, warns us about the wrong entrance to the kingdom. People who find the wrong gate. They think they're getting into the kingdom, but they come to the wrong gate. And of course, he's talking about all works-based attempts to enter the kingdom versus the work of Christ and grace. So that's one problem. But then in verse 15, he deals with a, a second problem, a second warning, and it's a warning about false teachers. How do people find the wrong gate? Often it's by listening to false teachers who say, here's how you know God, here's how you have a relationship with God. And Jesus says, "Beware of the false prophets. They're going to come to you in sheep's clothing." In other words, they're going to come to you claiming to be my sheep, claiming to be Christians." Folks understand this. False teachers don't show up on the television with false teacher emblazoned across their forehead. They're saying, "We're one of you. We all believe the same thing." But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, both the fruit of their own life, the fruit of their teaching, and the fruit that they produce, their teaching produces in their converts. Look at the fruit. Then in verse 21, and this is where I want to come, Jesus gets to a third warning. And this warning is about false professions. Here's a person who understands the true gospel, who hasn't found the wrong gate, and who claims to have entered the right gate, but hasn't. Notice what he says. Not everyone who says to me, to Jesus, kurios, kurios, Lord, Master, Master. Not everyone who says that to me, that's the key word, saying it doesn't make it so, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the future manifestation of, the, of, the, of his kingdom. You're not going to get into heaven, in other words. You're not going to get into his kingdom. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Well, wait a minute. Is Jesus teaching work salvation? No. He's saying, here's how you discern a true profession from a false profession. Same thing Paul's saying. Who are you obeying? He goes on, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, that is the day of judgment, many, that's a frightening word, Lord, kurios, kurios, master, master, didn't we prophesy in your name and your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? They're even claiming to have done miraculous things. And by the way, Jesus doesn't say they're lying. Could be, maybe there were, they were empowered by a different power. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them on the day of judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now, you read that, and true Christians can read that and be frightened. Don't be frightened, because Jesus tells us exactly who he's going to say that to in the final phrase of verse 23. You who practice lawlessness. If your life is characterized as a slave of sin, then you don't belong to Jesus. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on in verses 24 to 27 to give an illustration of that very truth. I wish I had time to take you through this, but let me just dispossess you of one wrong point of interpretation so you can understand that story. In that parable, Jesus is not the rock. Read it. He tells us what the rock is. Because the only difference between these two people who built what are apparently Christian lives is one of them has a foundation and the other one doesn't. What's the foundation? Well, in the point of the story, the foundation is the one who hears these words of mine and what? Does them. Again, not that we earn our way into heaven. We've already talked about that. We're under grace, not under law. We don't earn our way into heaven. He's talking about how do you know if you're really mine? You're really mine because if you're my slave, you do what I tell you to do. So my question for you today isn't, what's your profession? I suspect almost everyone in this room would say, yep, I'm a Christian. My question to you this morning, based on Romans 6, is, whom do you serve? To whom are you a slave? Whom do you obey? Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, the nature of a person expresses itself in actions. And to be a Christian does not merely mean that you say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that you are born again. It means that you are in Christ. There is a new nature in you, and that new nature must show itself. It shows itself in obedience and righteousness and holy living. It does not show itself by continuing in sin. Let's go back to Romans 6 because there's one last proposition that we learn from verse 16. These two kinds of slavery result in two radically different ends. Paul explains the results of obeying these two different masters in verse 16. Notice how he puts it. He says, you are slaves either of sin, and then notice this, resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Let's look at those two. First of all, if you live as a slave to sin, the result will be what? Death. It's death. Go down to verse 23, one of the most familiar verses in Romans. For the wages of sin is death. Let me put that differently. Death is the salary that sin always pays. Death is the salary that sin always pays. What is this death? Death is the loss of everything that can be called life. That includes spiritual death. We were born in spiritual death, Ephesians 2, one. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Sin and slavery to sin lead to physical death. We touched on that back in chapter 5, verse 12, where he says that it was by sin that death came into the world. But in this context, Paul is primarily referring to eternal death, that final and eternal separation from the presence of God that comes with slavery to sin. Death is the ultimate consequence of sin in all of its forms, spiritual, physical, and eternal. The salary sin always pays is death. But verse 16 says, obedience results in righteousness now again this isn't what we expect paul to say think about what he think about the contrast here he says sin results in death so obedience we would expect to, him to say results in life but he doesn't say that in fact he can't say that because that would be heresy that would be wrong Contrary to the gospel he preached, it's a lie. If obedience produces life, then we are saved by what? Our works. And so what does eternal life result from? The free gift of God is eternal life. So we don't earn life. Sin produces death, but obedience doesn't produce life. Instead, notice what he says. Obedience results in righteousness. Now here, Paul is not talking about the wonderful gift of righteousness we've discovered already in Romans. He's not talking about forensic righteousness, imputed righteousness that's ours because of the perfect life of Jesus Christ. He's talking about practical moral righteousness, and we know that because of how he explains it later. Go down to verse 19. He says, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in what? Sanctification. So, a true Christian is a slave of God. And that means he's a slave of obedience to God. He is a slave of righteousness. He is a slave of God. Paul's point in verse 16, if I could step back and give you the big picture, is that a slave of one man doesn't obey another master. He obeys his own master. In the same way, it is impossible for a genuine Christian to, to live in a continuing pattern and habit of unrepentant, unrelenting sin and obey sin rather than God. A slave always serves his own master. And if you're a slave of sin, you will serve sin. You are under its power. And no matter what you do, you can't free yourself from its domination. You may hate aspects of your sin, the guilt it brings, the the, the shame it brings, etc. You may... In your own mind and conscience, not like what you are becoming, you may try to stop living a life dominated by sin. But if you are a slave of sin, you are constrained to sin. You simply can't help it. You are a slave. And your only hope is Jesus Christ. For if the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. He's the only one in the universe that can set you free.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, Whose Slave Are You? Tom will bring you part three on our next broadcast. Do join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at one eight seven seven five seven seven word And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.